tonight. Arsenal solidify their rightful spot amongst the Premier League elite as we get one over the Manx at home. We chat about hungry pussies with our mate Fergus and debate Ramsey's motives on this and Ask Brothers Rankcast. Welcome to this and Ask Brothers Rankcast. And for the first time in a very long time, we do have the main man. The actual main man from Guns and Yellow Ribbons. We've got Fergus. Fergus, I know it's very early over there, mate, but uh, how are you doing? Uh, not too bad. Yes, it is early. It's half past six in the morning. I've got a, a cup of tea by my ha- by my uh, on my desk for a change rather than a beer or anything else. Um, but not much sleep last night. Man, I fought off so much pussy last night, you would not believe it. <laughs> Honestly, why is this? Where, where did this magnetism come from, Fergus? I, I've always had it, mate. Always had it. Six of them last night. Six of them. I gave it to the hungriest one at about six, six, uh, about three thirty this morning. And then I kicked him out. Yeah, it's a cat. <laughs> so, is this the cat shelter that you uh, that you volunteer at, or is this just your horde of cats that you this have? Is, this is my wife's harem of cats. Is harem a cat? It's probably is. It's my harem anyway. That's all I get. Yeah. So, yeah, we, we have six cats. My wife keeps on finding a cat and taking it in. Well, listeners, what we've got today for you is we've got a little bit of inside the ground. So, Fergus was there. Fergus is going to give us a breakdown of how it was, how, how the, the tension at the Emirates was. We're going to have a bit of, back, bit of back and forth about how we saw the game because Fergus and I have been chatting quite a bit and we seem to have some fairly differing points and then at the end of the podcast we're going to bring Toby in who's running a bit late tonight and run through the three two ones and the one two threes you're just afraid to get two sensible guys of similar like mind on the podcast at the same time aren't you really that's true this is why I usually bring people on like Manny and uh, and Mike because they're both fucking idiots and so they suit me whereas you know I, I bring people on like you so you know the sensible ones you and Toby can um can kind of you know can join up and, and bring some normality this to this otherwise, you know, insane dick joke fueled podcast that we call the Ass Brothers, mate. Okay, that's that that's a fair enough explanation. <laughs> <laughs> mate, for a lot of the fan base, this was a dominant performance. And I know you saw it as as, as a as a real victory for Arsenal. You were there on the day uh, why don't you give us a little bit of a, a a gauge of what it was like at the Emirates, walking in, what the general kind of feeling was, especially after the debacle at Rennes? Um, I, there was a lot of talk beforehand about Rennes and what's going to happen on Thursday. That was probably most of the talk in the, in the local pubs. Uh, I, I did frequent a few of them. We had to get a ticket from my brother. My brother's a Man United fan, uh, and he came into the North Bank with me as well. Well, he was upstairs first half, downstairs second half. Um, the, uh, the feeling was we can't lose the game. We need to get at least a point. Um, three points, and we're clawing it back in on those pricks down the road. Um, and, yeah, it it was a shitty day in London. There was gusts of 50, 60 mile an hour. It, it, it was cold. It, it was sunshiny, but, but cold. We were outside one pub just trying to get some shelter from the breeze because uh, it's too busy in a lot of the pubs around the area. But, yeah... The, it was a strange atmosphere, but it's a huge game. And for me, did it dull the, the, I guess, the excitement, the singing coming into the into the stadium? Uh, there was there's there's not as much singing coming to the stadium as uh, on on this day, say as, as there is on um 
on a North London derby day. It does help that it's later in the afternoon, so people are a little bit more pissed, so they're a little bit more vocal. <laughs> uh, inside the inside the concourse, yeah, there was there was a, a bit of singing and so on, and then it it was a good full house as well. It's a Sunday, it's a you know nice a nice kickoff time on a Sunday, really. Um, and by that stage, I was about eight pints in, so you know, who gives a shit? <laughs> Seventeen sheets to the wind, you were, Fergus. <laughs> Me. With your Never. with your Manchester United scum supporting brothers as well. Yeah, only the one of them. Only one of them. The other one the other one didn't get a ticket, so yeah. But eighty pounds for a ticket, and that was a cheap one. General sort of consensus, Fergus, once the lineups came out from, from kind of people you were talking to, people you were standing within the stands, was there was there a thought that this was maybe rolling the dice a little bit, of a very attacking lineup? Or, you know, was it sort of gung ho, let's go and get them? Um, I think it was it was my personal view. Seeing Ozil and Ramsey on the pitch at the same time, I was a little bit worried. I just thought to myself, yeah, I, was, I was shitting myself. Yeah, you know, I've for a long time said they just don't work together. Uh, so I I was type of glad that Gwendozi wasn't on the pitch and that he was on the touchline, um, because as I've said to you on on Guns and Yellow Ribbons quite a few times, he has a habit of just going down uh, too quick. And, you know, he just, he moans all the time to the, the referee. Socrates, I was strong, uh, strong with Socrates. One that did surprise me was Maitland-Niles. Um, Maitland-Niles at right back, when Mustafi has filled in at right back, uh, how the fuck, or what the fuck has Carl Jenkinson done? Uh, why can't he get a game? Because he's dumb, Fergus, and you need to accept this fact that he's done. He's not coming back. I think his contract is done in eighteen months. And we had we was, had this if, discussion with Manny and myself on one website on transfer market, which seems to be accurate about every other contract. It says his contract ends this June, uh, but there's an article from from 2015 that Manny shared with me, uh, which said he signed a five year contract. But you know who knows? Um, who knows? I thought he was done in 18 months. I didn't think he was gone end of the year. I thought he had a year and a half left on his contract. But with my track record of getting facts right, mate, it's about as good as your track record trying to pronounce people's names from other countries. So we'll just... We'll <laughs> I just have struggled to pronounce my own. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what happens when you have eight beers before the game, Fergus. It's true. It's true. It was It was good on, on the lineups, finishing up on the lineup side of things. It was good to see having the two up top, having uh, Laka and Aubameyang. It just gave us something like... It, it, you know, it's it's another game. If you look like the North London derby, it's another game where uh, there's no way anybody would have pre- predicted any of this, this lineup. There's so many different changes. Okay, six uh, players who played on Thursday night started. But still, they... The, 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 Emery keeps on changing it up depending on his opposition and, and he was renowned for this before he came uh, and we're really seeing it over the last few games. Well, I don't think Solskjaer predicted it at all, Fergus, and I think you could see that in his lineup. I think he was very much looking at expecting us to play the diamond formation that we played quite successfully against Tottenham and we played it quite successfully against Chelsea and we didn't. We lined up with this really attacking uh, 11 with all of our assets on the pitch um, to me at the start what I just saw as as madness I didn't like the two up front I kind of started to understand it as in my opinion the player of the at least the last month Mikatarian wasn't there so that changes things Terrera not being there that changes things 
to be honest, to hand on heart, I was just happy that that the ginger gimp wasn't playing, so I could uh, I could take a little bit of a breather for a match. But I, uh, you know, I wasn't stressed out about Maitland Niles playing. I've I've actually been someone who's been quite complimentary of Maitland Niles from a wing back position, not complimentary of him at all from a right back position. That was my point. He's right back. Interestingly enough, what formation did you actually think it was? Because it's gone back and forward a lot that it was it wasn't really Kalasanak wasn't really playing in a wing back position. We were essentially playing more in a back four with Monreal tucked in and that Kalasanak was so far up the pitch that it it may not have actually been a back three. How did you see it in the end? I couldn't I couldn't work it out. <clears throat> I thought I thought it was like a three two three one one sort of thing or I don't know. I honestly don't know, uh, but it was on quite... the heat map. Fergus Maitland Niles played right back. You, you've got Maitland Niles, so that, on that his would make it back. a back four then. If you, if you could see what I'm looking at, which is just on the Arsenal website, Maitland Niles is essentially at right back. Uh, you've got Socrates and Koscielny on top of each other. Um, you've got Monreal next to them, and Kalasnak kind of really advanced quite far up the pitch or almost on the halfway mark and and Ainsley Maitland-Niles, I, I, I mean, I understand it's a heat map and we're not looking at something that's exact, but Maitland-Niles really doesn't go beyond with his, his, his average area. He doesn't go beyond his own third of the pitch. Which maybe that's why I thought he had such a good game because he made some really good tackles there. I know we had a discussion on, on the chat about him saying, like, you know, who, who would you as man of the match? And, uh, I came along and said, it was hard to pick one, but I actually plumped for Maitland-Niles as my man of the match. Why did you not think he was? I, I, in my notes, I have down that I thought that he was very, very good for the last third of the match. I thought he was kind of there or thereabouts for a third of the match, and I thought he was terrible for a third of the match. So I didn't really have that much. It, it wasn't that I had an issue with his performance. I had an issue with him being man of the match because I didn't think it was a complete performance. I thought that maybe some of the things he did were really heroic and they were highlighted quite heavily in the time when we were really up against it, and that elevated him in in some people's minds. I mean... Crack state straight into it, Fergus. My man of the match was uh, was Bert Leno, and next to him, very very close, was Cost the Boss. I thought the two of them together were were pretty outstanding. As I said, it was hard to pick one, and I opted for Maitland Niles only because I had such low expectations of him in a position that I don't think he's played very well in, and for him to put in a performance like that and make some of the tackles he he made. And when I've seen him on telly, and I know he's a little lad, but when you see him in the flesh, he's like a bloody Barbie doll. He is tiny. And up against the likes of a, a Lukaku, uh, who Lukaku's left leg is probably bigger than him, honestly. It, it, he he was immense. I, I, I was really impressed for that reason. Bert Leno, yes, made some fantastic saves. Uh, Socrates and, and Coz at, uh, at the back uh, were fantastic. Ramsey and Shaka, they par- partnered each other very, very well. Ramsey st- stayed back. He didn't run run up the pitch. He didn't desert his lines uh, with, with Shaka. Overall, a, <clears throat> a generally fantastic team performance, even so much so as with the penalty. And you had a very soft penalty um, that uh, that Lacazette got, and he gave the ball to Aubameyang, 
focused him and said, you can do this or whatever. He, we don't know exactly the words he said, but something like, you can do this. And I just I just thought overall, as a team, it the, the team was the man of the match almost. But if I had to pick somebody, um, I just opted for Maitland-Niles. Very difficult. And when uh, when Toby jumps on later on and we go through our, our three two ones now one two threes, we were all over the place this week. Absolutely all over the place trying to work out how you give three players on a pitch who aren't great in what was a really fantastic team performance. And I'm starting to get the feeling that this Unai Emery era that we're, we're undertaking now, it is much more of a sum of its parts when it's all clicking and all coming together than it is individuals. And I think one of the really interesting things to look at is the idea that for majority of the start of the season, the concept of Ozil and Ramsey being on a pitch together, let alone the concept of Ramsey playing in a number eight, all made us shit ourselves. And we've been through this a lot. We've been through this a lot on the Arse Brothers, and we've been through this a lot on Guns and Yellow Ribbons. Somehow Emery has managed to get these guys, and, and it may have taken him most of the season, it may be taking Aaron Ramsey to be on his way out the door, but he's got these guys to come together in some kind of a collective and actually produce something that is greater than the sum of its parts. And I didn't think we were the best team. Uh, when was it? Yesterday? Day before yesterday? I didn't think we were the best team. I actually thought Man U had the better chances and, and they were a bit profligate with their scoring. I thought we won the first quarter of the game. I thought they won the middle half and we won the final quarter. But to see an Arsenal team run out like that, to see an Arsenal team fight for each other like that, that for me, it, it almost means more at the end of the game than going out and battering a team 5-0 or 5-1. Um, I, I just, you know, how did you feel about it? And how did it feel live, Fergus? Was it, was it a tense feeling live? It didn't feel anything like you saw the game, I'm afraid. Um, and I'm, I'm not trying to have an argument with you over it, but I, the um, Man United uh, had four attempts uh, on goal. We had three. We had more corners. They only had two corners uh, versus uh, our five. So we seemed to be in the attack more times than not. Um, yes, Man United did threaten and Man United did have something, but they didn't have what we had, which is we had the hunger to try and win that game, and you could feel that, and you could feel that within 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 the um, within the stadium. Uh, about half hour into the first half, I think Man United looked like they were getting back into it. We were one nil up, um, and I thought to myself, said, um, you know, I think we need another goal here before half time just to be comfortable. But they they petered out to nothing, and I was like four minutes on the clock. Uh, just before half time, and I'm going. No, you know what? One nil's fine. We've got this at one nil, um, and then we'd, it will just depend on how we start in the second half. Again, we came out of the second half full of energy and enthusiasm. Going back a bit on what you said about the Emery team being being the sum of its parts. Well, that is what it is. It's a team. It can't be about individuals. And if you look at uh, Ozil and Ramsey as individuals as well, I think probably what's happened in that situation is Ramsey's took upon himself to probably step back and let Ozil have his 10-roll, rather than trying to fight for his 10-roll. Ramsey's played an 8 before when Jack Wilshere, him and Jack Wilshere used to rotate between uh, those two positions. Uh, Ramsey would be in the 10, and uh, uh, Wilshere be in the 8, and vice versa. Um, but I think he's given up trying to fight for the spot, because he's gone to Juve. Um, I don't know. Thoughts? I just think that there's something about the accountability level that Emery's brought into this team. I always believe that Arsene had earned his right 
to leave when he wanted to leave. And I was a supporter of his until the until the bitter end. And yes, I was someone who wanted him to leave the club. I was someone who thought it had come to an end. But now with a little bit of 2020 vision and a 3,000-foot and a view of the club, the level of accountability that is in that club, I don't believe that I ever saw that in an Arsene Wenger team except for in teams that Arsene Wenger inherited, meaning the guys that came through that weren't necessarily his people but got moulded to be his people. And I'm um, I, I'm chuffed for Emery at the moment, absolutely would you, would chuffed. You, would you not say, like, the Invincible era and that sort of era, they had they had um, that sort of camaraderie and responsibility for each other uh, with Vieira and, and, and Henri? I think that was smart transfer business. Not so much what Emery has done, which is is actually take people and collectively get them to do something. I think he, uh, I think he, he bought in people who had leadership instead of building leadership within a club. Well, he had to do a quick fix, didn't he? And Socrates was, at uh, least Steiner to a certain degree as well, were quick fixes to get that leadership because there's lack of leaders on the pitch at Arsenal, which we know. And even 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 with this. Uh, lineup that we've got it still seems like there's some lack of leadership there's five captain shit they need you to make the mind up who is captain and it can't be Koscielny because he doesn't talk to anybody except for himself um I was saying to one of the guys <clears throat> excuse me I was saying to one of the guys in the stands um looking at the team when, uh, and the way we were performing I can't remember at what point in the game but I turned around and said you know we're going to lose five or six players at the end of contract uh, this summer two or three will probably be sold on Maybe or maybe not Ozil, I don't know. Um, but bringing in two or three good main signings into what we've got as this core of the side, bringing in uh, Smith Row, Death Row, um, bringing in back uh, Nelson and Willock and introducing them along with Inketia maybe to a certain degree, um, we could have the makings of a, a really good side. I do still think that if we're going to be losing Monreal's, losing Koscielny's, that there is some element that we need to be careful not to just go and, and backfill ourselves with youth prospects. But in some ways, I've forgotten who tweeted it out. One of the bigger podcasts, one of the big boys tweeted something out saying that guns maybe it's actually ribbons, those... Maybe? Yeah, could it could have been. They're, they're a big podcast, big, big podcast guns. Um, <laughs> but... Uh, someone had posted out saying that maybe it's actually those kids who have come through the youth system, have come through the junior ranks, that really understand what it is to wear the shirt, and it's the mercenaries, you know, who who maybe don't understand it as much. What are your thoughts on that? I mean, I mean, buying versus building, and how that works within the modern Premier League. If you look at some of the lower lower uh, Premier League and some of the Championship sides. Um, they bring through a lot of academy players. Look at the shit down the road. Um, they have got a lot of homegrown academy youth team players that have come through because of re- restricted budgets with, in leading up to building the stadium and now <laughs> overspending by over double on their stadium. But they will have no option but to, to bring youth. And I think um, if you look at Iwobi, Iwobi will run through a brick wall for this club. Um, he may get lost along the way on occasions, but he still will run through a brick wall. Uh, the, the, I, I think you've got to have a, a combination of some experience and you buy in some ex- experienced players, not necessarily uh, superstars, but uh, 
like our Socrates, he's a journeyman, but he's he's the guy who's going to. You can hear him bellowing to uh, the back four all the time. List Steiner early in the in in the season. I remember talking to you about. Um, he's standing by the corner flag where we are, and it, it's warming up, and uh, he's warming up to come onto the pitch. And this is a defensive situation. He's bellowing orders out onto the pitch. So you do have to buy some experience, but yeah, um, you know. There's nothing wrong with bringing uh, bringing the youth through because they know what it's about and they want to get to that superstar status. The problem you've got when you've got too many superstars is you then have the situation like where you got Sanchez and Ozil in the dressing room. You look at the situation mm. you had at Man United with Pogba and uh, Mourinho and it's too many big personalities. I don't think it, I don't think it's it, it's a good idea. It's interesting though. You know, we speak about this collective and we speak about these big personalities, and you know, the two biggest personalities at Arsenal, one's out the door and one, a lot of us feel that he needs to go out the door. And even Aubameyang coming in from Dortmund, he came in with a, with a lot of, of contentious um, stuff about his behaviours and, and how he was going to come in. And he's been a shining light for me. His relationship with Lacazette and the way he is generally on the pitch have been a shining light for me in, in what I call the new Arsenal, this this new Arsenal feeling that we have. Um Really interesting, Fergus, for me, how we are going to actually integrate into being a top four team from a board level. So I'm, I'm sort of jumping the gun here a bit, and fair enough, but I'm, I'm, I'm starting to believe that we are more likely than not going to be top four. Looking at our run-in, looking at the four points we just grabbed, I'm starting to think, look, I, I think we're going to be third or I think we're going to be fourth. And the big question that I have for you is, do you think this is going to make Cronky spend or is this going to make Cronky hold the purse strings because he's one of these people who thinks we can do it with less because we've done it with less? I think he'll ha- <clears throat> whether he spends, spends like big money, we're never going to be in the Man Cities. We're never going to be in, in that sort of category. If we can offload Ozil, we might get some money from But I think... Uh, more more likely not to because of his age and and his his wage demands. Um, will he spend? If we get into the top three, he's guaranteed Champions League football. You're guaranteed all, automatically fifty million uh, pounds um, for that. So that buys you one decent player. Uh, losing uh, the five players off of books, check and so on with their wages, that gets you another player. And then apparently we've got forty million uh, as a as a a budget for next season. So. If he wants to dig a bit deeper, he could buy a fourth player. Do you know? Do you know what I mean? So, do you think this getting into top three, top four is going to mean? I mean, straight away, it means that the caliber of player we can get, the caliber of player we can attract, is of a higher level. But you know, in a in one way or another, do you think this is going to mean that what may have been a forty million dollar budget, not including the extra money we're going to get from qualification, but what may have been a forty million dollar budget? that we're going to see a board, or I guess now it's that we're going to see Cronky. We talk about Cronky instead of the board, majority owner. But do you think that that's going to drive Cronky to look at it and and maybe look at a player and say, before, if we weren't in top four, we may have said no at that £60 million defender, but now we might say yes. Well, first of all, the aim for me is top three, because... Um we got to put down the spuds, the shit down the road. It, it, not only that, they're, they're not going to be in the top four anyway. I'm, I'm quite confident that I think they've totally bottled it and spurs it up again. But um, Chelsea um, could get into the fourth spot. 
because uh, Man United, uh, Chelsea have a game in hand and they'd go two points against uh, ahead of Man United. I think they've all got to play each other at some point as well. But if Man United go on and win the Champions League, especially if they've got Fer- Fergie in the VAR room, um, that <laughs> <laughs> you know that is a possibility. Who if Man United are Tottenham, for example, won the Champions League uh, and we were fourth. Uh, that's un- un- unthinkable to be knocked out of it by by that reason. So that's m- my reason is we've got to he- head for third spending-wise. Uh, there is a board, by the way. Uh, the owner is Cronky, but the chairman of the board is is Josh. So And there are other other members of the board. So they do do the day-to-day running, but I think Stan has got the, the ultimate say as it's, it's his train set. Um, will he spend more if he gets into the Champions League? He will have to because you're going to have to spend more to get that caliber of player that will play in the Champions League, um, and it will also help us keep the likes of Lacazette and Aubameyang, who are, let's face it, Champions League quality players. Just quickly, Fergus, we've yep. got a fairly decent run in Newcastle United in the Premiership up next, which I'd be relatively confident of. Uh, on Arsenal, Wren, do you think that we're going to turn that around? And may it be a blessing in disguise if we don't, considering our position in the top four and the thinness of our squad. Well, as you know, on Guns and Yellow Ribbons, we do a prediction league. And I have predicted in the Ren game that we'll win 2-0. Um, which, knowing Arsenal, we don't keep many clean sheets, is a bit of a feat. Uh, and considering we're going to have to go at them, 2-0 uh, is going to be a nervy one, because all they have to do is get a goal and then we're fucked. Um, but... Yeah, no, I think I think we'll go through just by the skin of our teeth. It might even go three-one, uh, extra time penalties, the whole shebang. Um, but it's going to be one of those nights, uh, and I think that's probably another reason why we were so determined to win at home against the United uh, the other day because safety blanket. Exactly, exactly. Because mm. it all looks pretty fucking shit at the minute, doesn't it? On the Europa League side, the side we thought was the easy route. Uh. There, there was. I've forgotten who put it up. It, it might have been Manny put it up very early on, who said, "You know, they've got three or four good players, and if we let them get on top, they could hurt us." Um, I, look, I've got a funny feeling that we're going to get very close, and and maybe not get close enough. And and the funny thing is, is I, I put a tweet out today saying, "I don't know if I'll be devastated as long as our performance is good." I don't know that I'll be devastated if we go out of Europa because much like we just said that maybe that Man U game was a safety net, the whole year I've kind of felt that the Europa League is a safety net. And in any knockout competition, it's a it's a flick of a coin, it's a roll of a dice. We've seen with VAR decisions, both in Champions League and Europa League, that you can be dumped out by no fault of your own. And I just wouldn't necessarily be... I'm always upset when Arsenal lose. I always want us to, to win every game and I in no way... I'm saying that I, I want Arsenal to go and, and, and blow it against Wren. But just with the position we seem to be in right now, I've always been of the opinion that getting into top four by our own volition was more important than rolling the dice on the Wren's game or on the Europa League in general. I agree. Um, but the, the the attraction of the Europa League as such a second-rate competition that it is. It's, it's improved now that they've um, got group stages and so on. Was It was the opportunity to get in a trophy and get into the Champions League. Um, if we could win it and still get Champions League football as well, that, that would be just perf- a perfect season. But we, 
None of us, I don't think any of us, or very few of us, expected even to get to the top four this season. If if we got to, to fourth and had a good run in the Champions League, or the Europa League, I thought we would have all been pretty, uh, pretty satisfied, not in... Not happy, but satisfied. But I think the way things are panning out at the moment, if we can get third um, and get across Thursday, and then you never know. If, if we could get, if we could do the Champions League and Europa League, man, I'd be delighted. Fergus, just quickly before we let you go, mate. What we're looking for is a one, two, three. And four, as in who's going to finish first, who's going to win the Prem, second, third, and fourth. And a prediction for how far we're going to go in the Europa League. Manchester City to win the league. Liverpool, obviously, to come second, because that's a two-horse race. I've got a, I've got a sneaky suspicion. Wolves is the one I'm worried about, uh, which we have yet to be confirmed. But I think all the games that we've got, the last eight games we've got, are winnable. And that would put us into third position. Fourth is a difficult one. Um, probably the Rent Boys, I think, for fourth. Um, mm. Closely followed up, up by the Manx and uh, scum down the lane back where they belong. Have we ever had a Champions League tie against Tottenham? We haven't, have we? I don't think we have. Um, we've played against Liverpool. We've played against Man United. We've played against Chelsea. Uh I would love to fuck them in the Champions League. Uh, you know what? I'd worry about that game. That would re- you've just made me feel ill. You've honestly made my stomach just turn. I don't Whoa. think that I could. I don't think that there could be a more stressful game for me as an Arsenal fan. I mean, I already get sick in a North London derby. I can only imagine a North London derby in a Champions League match, especially if it was for progression. I would just be fucking pissed as a fart, lying on the floor, nervous, drinking wine and pissing myself. So a normal Friday night then? Yeah, pretty much, Fergus. Yeah. Um, Fergus. <laughs> you asked uh, how far we think we'll get in the Europa League. Right. As much as I wanted to go through, I think we might have, unfortunately, met our match with Saar last Thursday. Mm, it may very well happen. Fergus, uh, you are the admin for, in my opinion, one of the best uh, fans forums out there, the Arsenal Fans Forum, which I'm a member of and I thoroughly enjoy being on week in, week out and conversing with lots and lots of great Arsenal fans. You've made a couple of changes for it. Do you want to give it a quick plug before we let you go, mate? Yeah, Arsenal Fans Forum started after Galatasaray uh, 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 pelted the pitch with flares and um, I was in, in in my car with my iPad and I was on Arsenal tickets um, and Pooja Shah was saying, guys, stop talking about the Galatasaray game. This is a, an Arsenal ticket page. Uh, you'd be banned and everything else. I hadn't got a clue what I was doing. I set up a group called Arsenal Fans Forum. Um, the group was originally open and it grew very, very quickly with a lot of people who didn't want to talk. So we had to, sh- we had to shut it down and we went secret for a while. Um, and Facebook have made some changes which allowed me back uh, to put it as a closed group. Um, where if you do want to join, you can join us. Um, all you do have to do is put a search for Arsenal Fans Forum as a group. Uh, we have a page as well, which is not very active, um, on Facebook. Answer the three questions. If you get the questions correctly, it will qualify you as a, a bona fide Arsenal fan. Um, we will do some just due diligence to make sure that you're not a Tottenham fan in disguise. And come in, <laughs> join, join us. 
There's there is one rule, and uh, the boys from Arsbrows have to be very very careful when I'm, uh, when they're on there. The word uh, the C bomb, as I call it, is totally banned. We do have a complete mix of people on there. Um, we've got kids, women, older people. It's a right mix, and the good thing about it is everyone is actually allowed their opinion, and nobody slags anybody off. And there's no I'm going to come down the keyboard and beat the shit out of you or anything like that. It's actually quite. And a- if you do, you tend to get a ban. You tend to get told to fuck off for a little while. And yeah. ask brothers, listeners, if you're wondering what the C word is, it's cunt. But we're allowed to say that one here. <laughs> it is. I, I've just got, I've just got a, an element of decorum about myself, Max, you know. Yeah, I try and have decorum, Fergus, but then I drink wine and it all goes down the shit pot. I was just going to say, is decorum a brand of whiskey out there or something like that, is it? It is, Fergus. You do know I love my whiskey and my gin. But uh, Fergus, thank you so much for joining us, giving us your time. Guys, Guns and Yellow Ribbons really is a fantastic podcast, a podcast that I'm on semi-regularly. The guys in there are all fantastic. If you want to follow them, if you want to follow Fergus and all the other boys there, you can get them on Twitter. They're at Guns and Ribbons. On Facebook, they're at Guns and Yellow Ribbons. And for lots of extra content, some really well-written articles, and not articles written by pundits, as we call them, but articles written by people who love the football club, you can log on. They're at www.gunsandyellowribbons.com. Great job, Fergus. As always, love having you on, and I'm sure I'll see you on Guns and Yellow Ribbons very shortly. Yeah, Max, just to finish off on that one, um, we use a strap line. We do use two strap lines on Guns and Yellow Ribbons. It's by Arsenal fans for Arsenal fans. And the other one, which we always sign off with, is up the arse. Up the arse, Fergus. Thank you very much, mate. Speak to you soon. Welcome back to this a two-part Ask Brothers Rankcast. We've got the OG back, the original. We've said goodnight to Fergus. We've said goodnight to the main man from Guns and Yellow Ribbons. Toby, good ha, evening. The re- the How real are you? Main man. Welcome in. Yeah, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. I'm quite buoyant after, after that result. You? Uh, you know, I've just been having a chat with Fergus for the last half an hour. We saw the game pretty differently. I haven't had a lot of conversations with you since we watched the game. We've been a bit offline. So more I'm interested, Toby, in how you kind of saw it, overarching view, what it means for us, all of that shit. Fucking go for it. Tell the listeners your point of view. Look, I saw it as an incredible display of, of bottle from Emery with the, with the lineup. So I, I think I can safely say none of us would have predicted that at all. Um, the one thing that we could have predicted was was the back three, but we sure as shit didn't see that amount of um, of our attacking players all playing together. And it's been a long time since we've seen that. Um, I was incredibly buoyant and impressed with the first oh, 20 minutes, half an hour, although we gave away a couple of opportunities. Um, then it was really hand over to Manu and us defend and, and try and stay in the game for our lives. Um, and then in the end, I thought we saw it out fairly comfortably apart from, um, a few little, uh, squeaky bum times, which we're prone to do, um, as an Arsenal team and, and fans in terms of the top four, I think it's fucking massive and I think we could be really proud of the performance we've played as well or better and not got the result. But 
I think it all evens itself out over the course of a competition anyway. Um, so we're in it now. You know, we discussed this we discussed this last week and maybe even the previous week as well about what our target was to get out of these games. I certainly didn't think we'd be getting four points out of the two games. And it looks like now the top four is somewhat, well, it is in our hands, but it's somewhat in our hands in terms of the running that we've got comparatively to the other big boys. Um, so I'm feeling good. I'm feeling really good. Toby, I had the distinct feeling that that game was shared, that we were about half of the game each we were in control. For me, we were in control for the first quarter of the game, the last quarter of the game, and I felt that Man U really took control throughout the middle third. Fergus disagreed with me. How did you see it? Uh, I, I agree with you for the most part, but I also feel... so. The, the bit I agree with you is that we started off like a house on fire, and I thought that was really important. Uh, I think whoever scored first would have controlled the game, and I think things would have been completely different had Lukaku had his shooting boots on. Um, the tactical switch on the half-hour mark from Solskjaer completely changed um, the course of the match in terms of the domination and possession. But where I disagree with you slightly is that Emery often sets his team up to contain in the second half to protect a victory. Uh, I think our difference in possession went from 50-something back down to in the 30s from halftime. So we clearly had a, a bit of a shift in that regard and wanted to hit them on the on the counter, which is probably smart considering they needed to come at us. Um, you know, the last 15 minutes, the last 20 minutes, obviously a bit more comfortable because of the pen. Um, so that changed things again. Um, but yeah, I, look, I definitely think it was a, a fairly even Stevens with the with the overall performance of both teams. Um, but we just had slightly better luck and definitely a better goalkeeper on the day. But you take them. Toby, into the thing that people are most interested in, the main thing we're known for and the hardest part of what we do here into the three, two, ones, and one, two, threes. Mate, who did you have for your three points and why? I had our absolute heroic defensive leader. I had Boss Shelney for our three points again. Mm, very close. Very close for me. Uh, four blocks, played with a three-inch gash in his leg. You know, any anything else to add to that, Toby? It's... It's the heroicism. It's cutting out the errors out of his game. He's always been an all-action hero of a defender, but he's really showing that leadership and shoring up a fairly... I I don't want to say weak defence overall, but like poor decision-making and error-prone defence. So he's he's leading by example. He's, He's throwing his body about heroically. His positioning is good. His front foot defence is is good um, and timed better, um, and his his ball playing ability from the back is is just huge at the moment. You know, it's really starting things off for us. Um, he's just he's just immense. And before his injury, I, I always loved and respected him, but I was always cautious of him because of his tendency for for errors. Um, I don't think that's gone completely. But 
my God, his his form over the last five, six weeks has been, I think, the main reason for our resurgence. So for, for a defensively poor team, we might not have sorted out our defensive problems, but we're really manning up. And I, I think that's I think that's huge. For me, I couldn't go past Leno, Toby. Two huge saves to stop Lukaku. Uh, another one where he came screaming out of his goal and then takes one off the end of his foot. And for me, in a period of time when Man U were finding dominance, it's Leno who's kept us in the game again. And um, from a few weeks ago, him not so much being slated, but being doubted by a lot of our fan base. I, I really think in the last couple of weeks, he's put his hand up and said that he is very possibly part of the elite. And for that, Leno, you get my three points. Toby, two points. Who did you have and why? Well, to, to support your three points, I also had Leno. He, he made three absolutely massive interventions, which swayed the course of the game, the outcome of the game. Um, and he is beginning to encroach on that higher echelon of, um, of Premier League keepers. And it's a real pleasure to see one of I, our guys step up and challenge into that, um, into that level of, um, of player. So he's, uh, he's really matured. He's showing a steely determination, a bit of leadership um, with his play. And he's um, he's starting to affect games now. So this is something that we haven't had for a very long time. And, and I've said that previously, that we've had keepers that, that do the odd good thing. But this is a keeper that's actually starting to affect the, the outcome of a match. And if, if you think in terms of our opponents, how many times De Gea has single-handedly stopped us from, from winning or drawing... Um, you know, it's it's a really good feeling to have um, to have a keeper at that level. So, yeah, couldn't agree with you more. Toby, much like you, I had Koscielny for two points, really close to man of the match for me. And interestingly enough, enough, and interestingly enough, you know, his name hasn't really come up on a lot of the forums I'm on for for man of the matches and and stuff like that. But I thought that he was immense. Like I said, when you gave him your man of the match. A load of blocks, some heroic blocks, a gash in his knee. But the thing that I think is is most telling is the fact that the two periods of time we've now seen Koscielny at his best as a defender, he has been the second or, or the, the non-direct or non-verbal leader in a back two. Ooh, I think preach. I th- I yeah. think Murtisacker was that for him prior, and yeah. there was a year with him and Murtisacker where Koscielny was absolutely on top of his game. Then Koscielny got partnered up yeah, with the correct. fucking ginger gimp, and they fucking yeah. suck together because neither of them have communication. And I think now that he gets put with Socrates, Socrates is doing the talking, and it's just allowing Koscielny to just do what he does and follow the ball around. And he, him, for me, today, I was... I was I, I, I was going to put this question to you later, but we'll, we'll handle it now. Has Koscielny done enough to extend his stay at Arsenal? I know we talk about not being sentimental. I know we talk about when it's the right time to get rid of people. But for me, if he can maintain his fitness, which it appears that he has no adverse effects from the Achilles problem, d- 
does that not mean that he is incredibly valuable for us going into next year, even as a, a third choice or a fourth well, choice? Surely, surely a player could has to be rewarded for their form, full stop. So age and risk management doesn't have to come into it completely. What would we get for him in, anyway? In terms of, fuck all. Fuck, fuck all. all. Five million. Exactly. Do you think that we can buy that no. for five million? I no, don't. No, we can't. No, we can't. So, regardless of your opinion of him, he has played his way absolutely into form, back into our our thought process, which none of us would have expected him to. Um, and I think it would be a missed opportunity, as you said. You you couldn't go out and buy a defender now with our budget, and the fact that we need to go and buy other players anyway in that similar position. So why not keep him around in terms of leadership? Could you imagine if we were in the top four, Champions League, and we had to rotate because of injury and suspension like we always do, and you could lean on a 34 or 35-year-old Koscielny to come in and play the big matches without as much game game time? Especially considering he seems to have maybe amended his game a little bit for his age. I think it's always something interesting when you look at the players who have had outstanding careers over a really, really long period of time that they're able to realize that they need to increase different areas of their game at different times or become different types of players as their bodies don't allow them to do things that they did once before. And you and I mentioned this, I think it might have been after the West Ham game which was his first game where he looked really good, where he came back and looked really sharp. And you and I spoke about it in the sense that maybe he had he's willing to sit back a little bit more. I don't ever remember Koscielny making this many kind of deep clearances before. I always think of Koscielny as this incredibly front foot defender and pushing up at people. And now he seems to be a little bit more willing to kind of hold off and then throw himself in front of things. Look, definitely, and, and I think now we don't play quite as high a line as we used to in the Wenger era. I, I think because we were so possession-based based, and our our centre-backs would really start off those attacking plays um, and be playing as pseudo-midfielders half the time, I think just the, just the positioning on the pitch from their starting point means that he can just less exposed in general, you know? Um, and the other point that I really wanted to come back to, because I thought it was such a good point on his form with a partner um, and that sort of pivot approach to defending where one one leads and the other one holds position. Um, you know, I don't think it's 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 not just the the talking, like the the verbal leadership from Socrates, but I just feel that he's more, of that old school centre back in terms of the positioning, so it kind of allows Kashelny to to run around that in, in a way. Um, so anyway, I, I just think I just think you're spot on, and it it, it needed to be um, yeah it, we needed to go back to that point a little bit. Toby, one point. Who did you have and why? Uh, my one point went to Granite Xhaka. Um, I was I was hugely impressed. That you know, I have to say there were a lot of candidates for this for this last point. Um, you could have given shout outs to nine of the eleven exactly, quite easily. Exactly, and and this is and so we won't go into that too much. Um, you know, the the hardest thing was finding negatives out of this game. 
But the the thing, the, the reason I wanted to give the point to, to Xhaka was for two absolutely epic contributions to the match. And look, goals don't always mean points, especially in our scoring system, because you've, you've got to take into the fact what's your primary role within the team. But Xhaka's performance was strong in all aspects. So his, for me, almost his greatest comp- contribution was the the sliding block last ditch tackle. Um, I thought he was where, gone. Uh, I thought he was gone for the season. You know, and and honestly, that was that was goal bound. That was that was a sweeping United counter attacking play, which almost straight out of the Arsenal textbook that was. So his his contribution in that defensive reading and heroism again um, was freaking huge. Not to mention the the goal which was which changed the you know the course of the match. Um, thirdly, apart from those two massive inputs, I felt he had a real control of the game with his passing. And um, so, Toby, I I struggled to find points for Xhaka and Ramsey. I actually rewatched the game. I watched the game a second time because my opinions and and you know other people's opinions, who I really respect, were so different. And on the second watching, I did find I had a, um, a more, I had a bigger appreciation for Xhaka's range of passing. I didn't think this was necessarily one of his best games in an Arsenal shirt, but I did think it was a solid game. The reason why I couldn't find points for Xhaka and Ramsey is I did think in the middle of the game they got overrun. And I thought that Manu won that midfield battle for the middle part of the game. There's a lot of people who don't agree with me. And like I said, I watched it twice and I thought the same thing twice. So, is what it is. That's my opinion on the game. Toby, for plus one point, I gave it to Kalasanak. Like, and I've given that dude a lot of negative points over the past however long. But fuck my ass, He ran so hard. I mean, fuck, he puked for a start. And then got up and just kept running. That was weird. He kind of got smashed by Rashford and puked. But early on in that first 20 minutes, there's three balls he flashes across the face that are amazing. He runs, takes people out, gets on this ball. There's another one where he like chests the ball, runs through the middle, barges people over. I love him in in a three at the back. And, you know, in this game, I thought oh, I just had to give him a point. Mm. Uh, and look, I couldn't agree more. He was he was so close. Like I said, my my ruling, let's say, my judgment came down to the moments that affected the game. So that's why I chose Xhaka over Kalasinac. I I thought Kalasinac was an absolute beast for all the reasons that you just said. Attacking wise, his delivery, his surging forward runs. His pass completion was much better. His link up between um, between Xhaka, Ramsey, um, and Kalasinac's link up in the tight spaces on the left were, were just phenomenal for the entire match. Um, yeah, he he was so close to me. Like I said, there there was eight or nine Arsenal players that that would have got positive points for me. So. But um, I agree with you completely for all the reasons you just said. Negative numbers. Difficult to come by as per usual. And, 
you know, I, I know we must sound like broken records at the moment, but the, the more games we win, the harder these negative numbers are to come by. Correct. So as we always say, you know, a little bit of a caveat, guys, we have to give negative numbers. If we could, and we could just say there were no negative numbers or there was only a couple of negative ones this week, but we can't. It's the nature of what we do. So, Toby, negative one, who did you have and why? Uh, For me, Max, negative one went to Ozil. So this was really difficult for me because I didn't actually think he had a bad performance overall. I just felt that he couldn't affect the game enough particularly after the formational change from Solskjaer. Um, look, I thought he worked really hard. Um, he he tracked, he harried a little bit. Um, he even went for a few headers. Um, but just after that tactical switch where he didn't have the free space to affect the game from a forward sense like he did in that first half an hour, he just dropped off a bit. But overall, I have to say I was actually buoyed by his performance. So this is a negative one because we wish he could have done more. The 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 other the other point that I want to add with with your discussion over the loss of midfield, I feel that the midfield wouldn't have been outnumbered by Manu if Ursel had have dropped deeper and harried a little bit more. That way it could have evened up the score. Yep. Definitely, Toby. I I absolutely agree with you on that point that he was fairly at fault for our loss of midfield. Mate, really, really against the general trends, I gave a negative one to Ainsley Maitland-Niles. There's a lot of people out there who have given him man of the match. Fergus, earlier on on the podcast, gave him man of the match. I, I agreed wholeheartedly that for a period of the game, he defended the probably the best, some of his best defensive interceptions, his best defensive tackles, and probably his best defensive performance for Arsenal in that right-back position. But I found a negative one for him because in the early part of the game, the early 20 minutes of the game, he again looked every bit that Bob Marley player uh, three pass giveaways, dispossessed on the ball three times, and he loses Luke Shaw for the cross for the Lukaku hit against the bar. He loses Luke Shaw again for another cross that comes to a chance, and he loses Luke Shaw and ends up fouling him quite badly, which could have led to a chance as well. So in a game where not a lot of people did anything wrong and it was hard for me to find negative points... I gave Ainsley Maitland-Niles a negative one. But really, if you think about it, I probably gave him a negative two in the first half and positive one in the second half. So, you know, he was the third best player in the second half and the second worst player in the first half. So I've I've tried to level it out and look at it all-encompassingly. Is that a word? No, no, I, I, I think you've you've actually presented a a, a a truly reasonable and justified case for for your score. I think with Maitland-Niles, we, we were so impressed with his athleticism, his tenacity and his spirit as, as you know, many Arsenal fans, you know, and, and the fact that he's one of our own, it's, it's difficult not to get overly excited. 
um, at that performance. The, the for me the 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 one I remember was him matching Rashford. You know, for for pace, this surging pace on on a break, um, and throwing in a last ditch heroic tackle, which ended the play. And I swear he'd popped his knee ligaments the way he dug into the ground. But look, I I, I agree with you. It was an indifferent performance um, in the first half in a very good bunch of players, um, and he really worked his way into the game um, and showed a fuck ton of spirit, something that we can be proud of. But yes, I, I feel it's a justified... Um, and I think that's kind of what I'm... I think that's kind of what I've been banging the drum for, that I thought that he was poor in the first half and he redeemed himself in the second half. And, and that's just kind of the way that I've got to go about putting together negatives. These negatives are going to be very hard, Toby, if we put on a six, seven-game winning streak and to Max, finish the it's, season. It's, it's discussion. There's it's going discussion to be a lot of so narratives we, uh, coming out. <laughs> and and look, we're, we're analysing players and then we're also analysing in the context of our season as well. So, you know, out of such a positive performance, and this is something to be positive with, you know, as... As kids from the '90s, growing up with that Man U rivalry, it's 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 as big as Spurs for us, or just about as big as Spurs, you know, without that tribalism. So, it's 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 fucking huge. So this isn't taking away from that buoyancy, that that wonderful feeling, but certainly analytical in terms of of our players and the context of our season going forward. So, the three, two, ones are discussional, aren't they, Max? Well, that's what they're all about, Toby. This is how we, we break down games and shout our ridiculousness into the microphones and, you know, hopefully people listen to us. Shout out to all of the people who are listening to us from Radelaide, by the way. Heaps of listens from Adelaide last week, so up the rad. Keep listening. Negative two, Toby. Who did you have for your negative two and why? So my negative two, and this is going to be polarising, actually went to Lacazette. His overall play was borderline phenomenal. We are certainly getting a centre forward who is capable of leading the line and making a difference in the Premiership. However, this level of profligacy for me is starting to become a concern. The early Kolasinac ball, you give or take. Perhaps you could say he could have judged his run a little bit better with the most perfect cross in the history of the bloody world. A couple of the other shots, perhaps taking too much time, too many touches, but the one for me that really stands out is when we could have put the game to bed one-on-one with the keeper could have taken us 3-0 and had us in party town. So for me, that level of profligacy that's been creeping in the last few weeks is starting to concern me a little bit. Um, How do you feel about that? I don't find that that polarising because I also have Lacazette Mm -hmm. for a negative two. Okay. And for much of the same reasons that you do, you know, I, I think that the fact that we're using the word profligacy so much on this podcast lately. And the fact that that word is being really heavily connected to not one, but both of our strikers. 
Mm. And when you consider the fact that this is almost meant to be our ace in the hole, the fact that we have these these two goal scoring guys, and when you go back, you know, three or four weeks ago, and we we were talking about the concept of Lacazette actually taking the mantle from Aubameyang, the idea that Lacazette was Arsenal's starter, that Aubameyang was the guy who had to come on at 60 minutes and slice through teams. And now we're kind of left with a striker, I think in some ways both strikers, low on form, low on confidence, and a, a couple of the misses from Lacazette today, especially the one you spoke about, which was the the fuck up. I think it was Lindelof. The ball bounces over the top of Lindelof, and yep. Lacazette runs onto it. Yeah, yeah, and and Lacazette runs onto that. And all year you've been like, that's a goal. That's a goal for Lacazette. And he really pulls it. He really makes a hash of it, and it's not under pressure. And it's quite interesting. Uh, there was a tweet that was put out the other day. I can't remember the exact statistics, so no one kind of hammer me on the shit fest that's Twitter about this. But basically that no stri- no golden boot striker of the last five years has gone through an entire season without an injury of more than six weeks. And so basically what it was saying is that the soft tissue injuries are actually quite important in the the refreshing or, or the getting gas into the tank for a striker. And I'm starting to wonder whether or not both our guys are... It, it's a lot of games, Toby. It's a lot of games in the season. One or the other has started every game this year and a lot of them together. And I wonder if they're just, they're just starting to feel the grind and they're just starting to feel the pinch... Well, p- potentially, the, the the only thing I, I wonder about that is, look, and, and it, it, it's logical, the harder you work, the less fresh you're going to be when your big chances come up. Was it De Bruyne last year who said, basically, you feel fresh for about the first quarter of the season and the rest of the year is a grind? Mm. Mm. Potentially, but I mean, with the, the anom... The anom- <laughs> The anomaly with Lacazette is that, yeah, got it out, is that he is developing at such a rate in terms of his dribbling capacity, his hold-up play, you know, his back to the defender, his linkages and partnerships with the players around him. Like, we have got just almost a permanent semi with this player and our love for him, but he's actually losing that, that striker instinct that he had when he first came to us but he didn't have so much in his all-round play it's 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 odd that one we're we're robbing peter to pay paul in a way do you not think that maybe he's blowing himself out with everything that he's doing and his work rate that he's doing so he's got dusty heavy legs potentially i mean which which brings which brings in the case of not starting them together to the forefront even more i've got an interesting question for you toby while we're on it Mm. Lacazette and Aubameyang together in this game. I Mm. understand there was a huge amount of running they did and quite a lot of pressing that they did. If there weren't, Mm. if there wasn't an injury to Mkhitaryan, would you have preferred to have seen Mkhitaryan in this team? Or I guess the real question is, do you did you think that Lacazette and Aubameyang together as a partnership actually worked 
to Arsenal's benefit in this game? God. Tough, I know, because they both worked really hard statistically. They both got banked. They both got goal side. I don't think they both start if Mkhitaryan doesn't have his injury. Me either, man. So he has been our best player the last month. He's just about the first name on his team sheet. Player of the month without doubt for me. Although we saw it as this incredibly ballsy, fuck you, I'm going to attack because we can't defend approach, and it was, we have to say, I don't think both of them would have been there. I I certainly think Lacazette would have started because of the, the Europa League suspension. Um, and your banger man would have come on from the bench. And and that could have worked in the context I of the game. I wonder if Mkhitaryan was fit, if it would have been the formation that we actually thought that we were going to see, which for me yeah, would well, have I don't think we would have Lacazette, played the Lacazette, Mkhitaryan, yeah. Awobi, Ramsey in the 10, Ozil not playing, Genduzi and Xhaka. Because yes, that's the lineup I thought we were going to see. Genduzi was being punished for his Rennes performance. Yeah. Or his. I think Manny, Manny would correct you, Toby. Here, yeah. it's Ren. I can't roll my. I've eyes, learnt French but, now because yeah. I've learnt French now because Manny got so upset by my yeah. soccer les bleu. And I feel like a fuck fucktard for calling it Ren's Ren. It, but Ren. Yeah, but Ren. I can't do that. I can't do that. I can. I'm French now. I'm officially French. I've learnt soccer les bleu, Manny. Soccer les bleu. <laughs> <laughs> um. Did you actually think they were effective, Toby? Short answer. Yes, they did a job. And Do you think chances. that that was something that Emery would have done given non-injuries? No. No, see, me either. So it's it's a really interesting thing when we start breaking Emery down. And we're a squad, so yeah, fuck it. But that's and that's what I, mean. what I love about so it. So early on in the podcast, Fergus and I talk about... Emery's MO being a squad that is larger than the sum of its parts. Yeah, and I fucking love it. I absolutely And it's something that we're it. growing to really love because for the whole season we've been looking for, well, what's his style? What's his style? I'll tell you what his style is. His style is go there, Whatever do this the job, needs and shut be. the fuck up because that's what needs to get done. Exactly. Do I use academy players? Do I use my superstars? Do I play a back three? Do I play a back four? Do I play a pressing style? Do I build from the back? Are we going to sit? Are Whatever we going to grab? Are we going to break? Exactly. I yeah, fucking it's a, love it's it. Re- it's really, really interesting. And, and we're going to get to why it's interesting just at the end of this, Toby. Just at the end of this. Okay. But yes, Hold both of us. Thought. Negative two for Lacazette. Um, negative three, Toby. I think I just said all of it with my previous thing. But negative three for Oba for... Almost an anonymity in this game. You know, yes, yes, he ran around. Yes, he pressed a bit. But by God, he looked out of form until he hit that pen. You know, you, you had the antithesis of Lacazette with with Aubameyang's performance. Lacazette played brilliantly, connected, harried, hassled, great on the ball, good in, in trickery with tight spaces or in tight spaces, rather. And I really felt, with your banging man, it was it was an expression of how he's been playing the last few weeks. So a, a, a dip in form, less chance, creation, less chance. See, um, I quite liked how he went out 
his first 15 minutes, he had three shots on goal. He tried to ping one from distance. Yeah, he tried he to like overhead kick to, one. He yeah, looked like he was trying, he was trying to, to strike change. himself yeah. into form. Yes. And I quite, I quite liked that. Yes. Um, and I also thought for the game, he made quite a few tackles. And do you know what? It, it wasn't even about the tackles that he made. He, you know, to steal a, a, a Tottenham phrase, he put the pressure on. Like, that's what he did. He put the pressure on. He didn't always yeah. win the ball, but he made a lot of very unselfish returning runs. And it was something I didn't notice until I watched the game the second time. And it's mm. for that reason that he went from being one of the guys in my negative points to not being one of the guys in my negative points. Now you might ask, well, Lacazette worked his hole off as well. Why does Lacazette end up there? And it's about what we he said missed his chances. It's about yeah. him missing his chances. Yeah. Toby, for me, I've been trying, uh, not trying, but leading away from taking like easy narratives for most of the year, what I deem as quite easy narratives. I've, I've tried to pick points and pick negative points like I did with the AMN thing on a, on a balanced scale. I gave my negative three to Ozil. Mm. Mm. And it, it's it's really interesting because I write down the first point I write down when I negative three him is that I didn't think he had a bad game. So how do I come about giving him a negative three? I come about giving him a negative three because I don't think that it's good enough for a player of that ability to not be able to mold and change within a game. And I, I've seen this a couple of times with Ozil this year where... In a free roll, when he's popping up between the lines, he looks really good when he's be, being dynamic and people are struggling to go with him. But I thought that there was a big disconnection between the front three, which I, I know we were playing a front two and Urza was meant to be in this 10 connecting. But I thought that one of the reasons why we actually lost control of the game was because Urzel didn't adjust as much to not being able to float behind Matic that he did at the start of the game. And it was really difficult then for Xhaka and Ramsey to be able to connect the midfield because Ramsey was actually for once in his life being very positionally aware and not bombing forward. And there was a big gap. And I thought that that disconnected our strikers and our number 10 from the defensive job that we were doing. And I just from a, a three hundred and fifty thousand pound a week player, and I, it, it annoys me that I keep bringing it up because I agree so much with uh, it's one of the guys on the Arsenal Vision I can't remember who was saying you got to stop holding the contract against him, right? Like someone put him on that money, he didn't steal it from us, like he bartered for that contract. But for a guy who's on that money, who's meant to be our talisman. I didn't feel that it was a talismanic performance. And I think one of the issues is, is that because of the mercurial maverick that Ozil is, when he drifts in and out of games, in this case really drifted out of a game to the point where I wanted him off you know, 15 minutes before he went off because he had ceased to impact the game, but when he drifts in and out of games, he kind of gets tarred with a different brush. I also thought he really didn't like it when Manu turned up the physicality on him, especially in the early part of the second half. 
He one thing for him though, the ref did not protect him. All right, so I, I get that he was a bit divey. He was playing for the foul. That's fair enough, but the ref needed to be consistent with Pogba because Pogba was doing the same fucking shit and getting free kicks every fucking time. So I, I was I was disappointed with the ref's performance overall. I thought he was inconsistent with his, his rulings and some of it was letting the game evolve and other times he was intervening unnecessarily. Um, so I just wanted to add that in. Um, yeah, but look... For all those things that you said, um, I have to agree to some extent. Um, I just felt it was an improvement. I feel like we're getting there. His his relationship is developing with Emery. Um, and I feel almost now we have to... Let's see what we're going to get for the rest of the season because the, there were improvements, but... Look, I, I have to agree with you. We've got to look at the cold, hard facts. You know, 350 grand a week. He didn't steal that money from us. Yes, it's not his fault necessarily, but we need a player of that caliber in terms of our financial outgoings towards that player to affect games and moments more in, in, those, in those massive games for us in the season. Can I put a question to you? Okay. All right. I I realize we have a bit of a thing with with Ramsey, the the way we've discussed him over years, his maverick nature, um what he's done for himself and not his team. Do we just wish we had this fucking manager a few years sooner for Ramsey's career? No, and I've been waiting for this question. I've been waiting for this question. And on the balance of like historical evidence, right? Ramsey has never done this. He's never done this before in his whole career since his 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 incredible purple patch was it what was it? He 14, hasn't had the 15? I don't know whether it's he hasn't had the coaching, Toby. I, I've said this a number of times and I refuse to back off on it. I appreciate him for everything that he's doing right now. I don't appreciate him for what he did prior. I think that it's very easy for him right now He's an employee, to be digging in. He's an Let employee. me finish. It's very easy for him to be digging in right now and doing the right thing right now, now that he knows his time is coming to an end. He knows right now if he doesn't do it for Emery, he's not going to play. And instead of being someone who leaves and we all long for and we all talk about that Wembley is his house and we talk about the goals that he scored, if he doesn't do what Emery's asking him to do right now, he risks his legacy. And no matter what anyone says about Aaron Ramsey, I have, do, and always have believed that he really cares about that. He really cares about that because he's so fucking arrogant. Right, He wants to be considered to be a great player. And I don't know why that didn't transfer over prior, whether it was just the fact that he had, had had his balls rubbed to such a degree by Wenger. I agree with the argument that maybe Aaron Ramsey under a different coach would have turned out a different way, but it didn't happen. And regardless of the mentoring and regardless of the environment around him, he chose to play a number eight like a number 10 and run in front of everyone. You know, you he know chose that. not that to enjoy been... being on the right wing and you don't know the other way, Toby. No, I find it really funny how you interpret, 
interpret that interpret personally I interpretate well i just uh, look look i i understand for all those reasons how much of the problem he was previously but you're talking about a guy who has responded in a way that you could never imagine with a person who's leaving. Most of us, when we're leaving a job, we don't give a fuck. I, 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 no, I just it's refuse the opposite to- of that. I can imagine him doing it, and he's done it, and I called it about 10 episodes ago. Mm. Okay, all right. I called it 10 episodes ago. Go back and listen to it. I can't remember which one it was on. I think it might have been one of the... In fact, I can't even remember what podcast it was on. I can't remember whether it was a Guns podcast or an Ask Brothers podcast. Might have been one of the ones Manny and I were on together. Well, probably, seeing you both hate Ramsey. We do both hate Ramsey. I'm making a a fist sign. I don't know whether that's racist or not. Manny, let me know. Look, I I don't give a fuck about my, my predisposed liking or disliking to him. I really, really fucking respect what he's doing for us at the moment. And I feel like he... He is part of the reason that we're starting to do well. But do you, you know, hear me slagging him off anymore? No. no. So I, I'm I not don't. Take, I'm not taking some. I'm not taking some predisposed narrative mm, yeah, against know. him. What mm. I'm saying is, is that based on the historical data and the way he is and the way he has behaved, I think that there's a reason why he's doing this. And I think it's a deliberate thing for him to be able to leave a club that he loves and have everyone long for him. Well, what, what about the fact that he may have realised how much he actually loves and respects the club he and that he wants to put in a shit. good shit? If he realised that, he would have taken the fucking contract that was on the table for him, but he didn't want to because he thought he was worth more than he was. And can I what tell you the, the funny fact thing, that he Toby? was going to take it put, and it got had, taken no, away no, from him? What about he, that? That's a fucking John Cross article. And if you believe anything that comes out of John Cross's mouth, you're an idiot, right? Because he's a fucking gobshite. Back in the day of Arsene Wenger, he had lots of contacts. He's got no contacts now, right? I honestly don't believe that for a second. I don't believe any of that crap. But the funny thing is, Toby, if he had have performed like this at the start of the season when Emery came in and Emery gave him this role, well, and that was he basically it, my and fucking he fell point, out of the Max, team. before you jumped down my throat. It was basically my point. point. Yeah. Just for a change. That number 10 role, if he had have actually stepped up in the way that he was offered when the carrot was dangled, we wouldn't even be having this discussion. But at that stage, he he hadn't gone yet. He hadn't signed yet. Mm. So doesn't that tell you something? That when he got offered it at the start of the season and he was being asked to do something that he didn't want to do while he was still semi-negotiating a contract, Mm. that he couldn't do it. Mm. And literally, the second his bed was made and he was going to Juve, all of a sudden we get the best possible Aaron Ramsey? I don't know. I don't know. I think it it shows a huge amount of respect and mental toughness to be putting in these type of performances when you know you're out the door. He could be protecting himself and he's not. So I know you interpret it differently, I'm just I'm just opening up another side of the discussion and I'm saying that I'm respecting the absolute hell out of what he's doing at the moment. And you know what, Toby? I would play him for every game until the end of the season. Yeah. Because if this is his intent, if his intent... Then let's take is, it. 
Yeah. At 100%. I'm not saying put Ramsey on the bench. I'm questioning the motives behind the performances, not the performances themselves. Mm. Mm. I even loved his little bit of leadership when when Suarez came on. He came over like he he roughed his head up and he, you know, he said something into his ear. Did you see what he did when Niketia came on as well? Same Mate, thing. Maybe that's what I'm talking went about. Went up, went up, and, went up and grabbed Niketia yep. and basically, like, you, you, I don't know what he said, but I imagine what he would have said to Niketia is you mm. run, you mm. keep running, you run for everything, and you and, get and back. It, and, it, and it was leadership. So I, I feel like we're both coming from this discussion in a similar, a similar no, we way, are. but we are. different, but just with different... I think the way you're seeing it, directions. Toby, is you're you're saying that you wish that he had have been coached in a different way, yes. and you wish that we had have got this out of him earlier. And yes. what I'm saying is, I think that the nature of the environment around him now is the thing that's leading him to put in these performances. Regardless, what we're both agreeing is, fuck it. To the end of the year, coming or going, you play Aaron Ramsey every game. Well, because we play to our game. We we play short termism in obvious, in and in a way to for our future to have more options, basically. And just quickly, while we're on it, mm. first time I've seen dynamite from Suarez. Oh, I loved it. I loved it. He he battled Shaw He's as burst well through the and middle. Shaw isn't a weak prick. He looks slight to me. He does look slight. He showed fight. He yeah, yeah, yeah. got on it. He got a boot in. That little jiggle through the middle, that little drop of the mm. shoulder, and then beat a guy and left foot, yeah. right foot. And he and moves the ball, the ball through to fast. Awobi, which nearly he comes across fast, to Jacker, which is important to us. You know, I like yeah. it. I saw I like a spark. It. I saw a spark, and Emery's been holding him back. I think it's set in stone. I don't think he was bought for this season. I, I think we're going to get him next year. I think at yeah. twenty million pounds for his age. I think it's a decent gamble in the in the in the modern market. Yep. I think it's a decent gamble. Toby, we've got five minutes left. Five minutes. We got a bit heated, clock. didn't we? Finally. Yeah, we did, but I like it. You know, because this, this you know, is the fucking rant cast. This is the rant cast, and the thing is, you have to understand. You know, Toby and I will get in these arguments and shout at each other and call each other cunts and hang up, and like we'll be fine afterwards. It's just you know, it's what brothers do. Stab in the chest, bro. Stab in the the chest, bro. Stab right in the chest. Toby, a couple of really quick questions for you. We've got less than five minutes. Number one, looks like Arsenal's on for the top four. I know you particularly, you're someone who's always errs on the side of caution, but I don't want you to err on the side of caution. I want you to look statistically, if everything runs through a simulator, we are most likely at this point going to end up in the top four because of the points we have taken from Tottenham and the points we've taken from Manu. So... Quick question, short answers. Arsenal top four, do you think that it is going to increase the amount of investment in the club? Or do you think that it might actually end up hindering us a little bit because Kroenke might decide that if we could do it on such a shoestring budget that we can continue to do it on a shoestring Hinder, budget? Hinder because I don't trust that cunt. Yeah, I'm kind of a bit like that as well. Toby, Unai Emery. If he makes top four, and we're, again, we're making the assumption he makes top four, mm. manager of the season. Absolutely. For no me, it's, a, it's For me, it's a given, right? The shit show he walked into 
when you look at the way Man U came down, that's a given. Did you see the, the graph on the increase percentage-wise from last year's position? So we are, Toby, this week, three points away from matching our total points from last season. And and two and for two main reasons: performance against the top six and away form. Yep. It's yep. Pretty 100%. fucking big. It's pretty fucking big. And that's without his own players coming in, which leads us into our next question, Toby. In this quick fire round, shoot, pa-pow. shoot, pa-pow. Pa-pow. shoot from the hip. Um, Unai Emery next year with his own players. Uh. Are we going to increase our position? Do you think we're going to be able to put the pressure on? And considering Emery's record in cup competitions, do you think it will translate to a decent run in the Champions League finally? Don't know about the run in the Champions League. I, I feel like that that could be a little bit further away, but why not? You know, we live in hope. This, this guy, the... The, the main interpretation I have of him and why I love him so much is that he's improved our current players and that's the number one thing you want from a coach. And secondly, his tactical nous and ability to motivate. So why the fuck not? Why the fuck not? Okay, Toby, last question before we wrap it up. Okay. In light of our current position and the likelihood of top four... Could bailing out of the Europa League be a blessing in disguise? No. We need to maintain for our own confidence within the squad. We have a big enough squad. We've already shown that we can utilise the squad. We are only in two competitions now as opposed to multiple. So I feel that confidence is a huge thing and a big defeat or a big disappointment with how hard it is to go to anywhere in the premiership, let alone play against relegation battlers. No game should be taken lightly. So momentum is fucking massive. So definitely not. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be sacrificing the Europa League at this stage. If we, if we go out in a typically spirited performance when we've got nothing to lose then it will be hugely disappointing again. But in terms of, I don't know, a, a, a pretty good mitigation to that circumstance, top four wouldn't be so bad. But yeah, no way. No way for throwing it. Uh, okay, guys. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Toby. Uh, thank you to Fergus from Guns and Yellow Ribbons for joining us today as well to give us his insights into the game against the Manx. As Always, guys, you can follow us on Twitter at AskBrothersMax and at AskBrothersToby. Follow us on Facebook at the AskBrothersRantCast. You can listen to us on Spotify, iTunes, and SoundCloud. We love you all. We wish you a fantastic night. Come on, you gunners. We'll see you next week. <laughs>